Our scripture lesson today comes from the Gospel of St. John, chapter 3. Um, many of you all may uh, already know this scripture um, uh, in a different translation, but let's share it in God's good word together again this morning. This is how much God loved the world. He gave his son, his one and only son, and this is why, so that no one need be destroyed. By believing in him, anyone can have a whole and lasting life. God didn't go to all the trouble of sending his son merely to point an accusing finger, telling the world how bad it was. He came to help to put the world right again. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. You may be seated. Jesus is with us. Jesus is with us. Jesus is really with us. Will you say that with me? Jesus is with us. That's what Christmas is all about. Um, And if you want to use a big theological term, it's the incarnation. God with us. God with us. Jesus is with us. And because Jesus is with us, because Jesus has come to live in us and through us, then we can give differently. Uh, Many of you are are reading the book Advent Conspiracy uh, with me as we get ready for Christmas. And and they say, spend less and give more. And and so it's actually even in your bulletin that way, give more. But as I reflected on it, I thought about that. I was like, you know, I know some people, they really shouldn't give more. They're they're already in debt. They're they're already beyond. They're already in an unhealthy relationship with someone or with, with, with something. And the last thing they need to do is give more. But we all probably need to give differently. Isn't that true? That we need to be more thoughtful about how we give, why we give, um, what, what does it mean when we give, what, what does it mean when we receive a gift. So I think we ought to give differently. So we're going to talk about that. And, and as you have your sermon notes, I invite you to take those out. Um, and we're going to look at what I think uh, is one of the greatest scriptures in all of the Bible um, and the greatest news that the world has ever known. So first of all, so we can get things uh, right just off the start. God gave Jesus to the world because God loves the world. Will you say that with me? God gave Jesus to the world because God loves the world. Now, this was a radical concept in that day. Because normally, if a God came to earth, it was to wipe you out. Right? It was to explain a flood. It was to explain a fire. It was to explain a hailstorm that Zeus was mad or Aphrodite was upset or Mars was warring. That if a God came to earth, it was bad news. I mean, that's how all the world, for thousands and thousands and thousands of years, when a God came to earth, it was terrible news. Nobody wanted that to happen. And then the God, the God above all gods, came to earth. Why? Because God loves the world. God loves the world. So much so that, read it with me, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that everyone who believes in him may not perish but may have eternal life. Now, I will remind you that when we talk about eternal life, we don't talk about that thing that happens when you die. That's just a little tiny part of eternity, isn't it? Those of you who've done some philosophy, you know that eternity goes both ways, right? It's never ending. So eternity includes all of your past, 
So eternity, God's eternity redeems your past. It changes your future and influences, changes your present and influences your future. Right? Because eternity is not just later. That's future. Eternity is future, present, and past, all of it. And that's why God came, to transform all of that. Now, to me, there's nothing more powerful in all of my faith life than to remember this. When the writer of the Gospel of John, John himself, as he's up on the hill in Ephesus overlooking the city, this, this word, the world, cosmos, is the Greek word that he chooses. Now, this is significant to me because it refers to those who are at odds with Jesus and God. So, so not only is God coming to the world, but he's not coming just for the people that already know him or have received him or praise him or worship him. No, quite the opposite, that God has to come to earth. He chooses to come in order to let everyone know that he loves us, that he loves us, particularly those who would put him on the cross. Those people. He loves you on your worst day. Not just your best day, not just your average day. God came to let the whole world know that he loves you, that he loves you, that he loves you for no other reason than that you're his. And in particular, he came to those who did not know him and didn't want to know him. And that's how he's able to give salvation to the thief on the cross right next to him in his very last moments of life. I want you to think about this. This should blow your mind. I mean, if you're a religious person, basically what we're saying is God came... To everybody who slept in this morning. Now, that does not seem fair. Right? I mean, this, this is what this means. That God so loved those who did not love him back. That's what this says. And I wonder if we're people who claim God's name, if we're willing to do that too. That we're willing to love those who don't love us back. We're willing to love those who aren't in a tr- transactional relationship with us. That we love people because we love them because we love them because God does. And so we do. That's what this means. God so loved those that don't love him that he would come that they would know him. And if you don't believe me, listen to Jesus' own words. Uh, in the gospel, he says this. People were coming to him. He's like, what are you doing? What are you doing with sinners uh, and eating with people and tax collectors? What in the world are you doing? And Jesus says this. He says, listen, healthy people don't need a doctor. I came for the sick. Isn't that true? I mean, any of you all head to the doctor when you're feeling great? Right? Save your copay. Right? You, you go when you're sick. Unless it's your checkup, go then. Okay. So, I, the, the great theologian Whitney Houston <laughs> said it like this in 1996 in The Preacher's Wife. It's one of, one of my favorite uh, movies. It's a, it's a remix from uh, the 1940s of The Bishop's Wife. She said it like this. When nobody else loves you, let that sink in. When nobody else loves you. When you are not fit to live with. When you are hangry. When you need to go do something else with your life. And your own family doesn't even love you. Jesus does. He does. He is always there. Always there. So what we celebrate at Christmas is the incarnation. Right? Chili con carne. With meat. With flesh. Incarnation. That's what it is. So God comes with flesh on, with bones, with blood running through his veins, that he would come as a vulnerable mortal, not a God. And so this moment that Jesus comes, he comes as the divine son, perfectly of the eternal father, and entered our story as a human baby. A human baby. 
Is there anything more vulnerable than a little human baby that God would choose so that you would know how much he loves you, that he would choose that vulnerability? Born in a manger, in an animal trough. And so uh, the theologian Gail O'Day, who who wrote uh, extensively on the Gospel of John, she says this, the incarnation changes God's relationship to humanity, to us, and our relationship, humanity's relationship to God. The incarnation means that human beings can now see, hear, and know God in ways never before possible. Before Jesus, there was no way to know what God thought on a day-to-day basis or what God would say or what God would do. God was wholly other, so other that in the Jewish tradition, you couldn't even say his name. Right? God was so big and so other. God had to come in the person of Jesus so that we would know his love for us. It changed everything. So Jesus is our fullest and best understanding of God. When we look at Jesus, we're looking at the face of God. When Jesus says something, God is saying it. When Jesus does something, God is doing it. And if you want to know what God is like, all you have to do is look at Jesus. And in case you missed it, um, in the Gospel of John, again, John says, uh, Jesus says, the Father and I are one. When you see the Father, you've seen me. And, and here's what blows my mind. That Jesus chose to become one of us. By choice. We, Jesus is not a victim, friends. We have to take him out of that category. Jesus is the savior of the world. And he chose fully that he would be tortured for your salvation, for the salvation of everyone you will ever know. He came so you could see him and touch him. For those who wouldn't believe, like Thomas, he said, look, here's my hands, here's my side, touch me, see that I'm not a ghost. I'm right here for you. That he would humiliate himself in such a way that He would allow someone to touch his wounds because of love. Many of you know just about a week ago, Chantel and I uh, were in Istanbul and then Izmir and then Selçuk and and all through uh, parts of Turkey. Uh, We have workers there. Um, Their Christian faith now, uh, at one point when it was Constantinople, was the place of Christianity for a thousand years. Uh, The Hagia Sophia, built in 532 roughly, um, was for a thousand years. an active cathedral. This is where Christianity lived. This was the core of it up until about 1492. So almost a thousand years straight. And inside the cathedral, it is mammoth. I mean, those are actual people there. Those aren't ants. Those are people. Uh, We're up on the the next floor. And um, to the right uh, over here um, is where many of the councils, early church councils would have been held uh, between 500 and 1500. And, and just inside, if you walk through there, um, you can see these major disks. Those are uh, uh, Muslim disks because their belief system is that God says, you know, don't make an idol, an idol of me. And so they don't ever have, like, um, images of people. They, they have script uh, because they think that honors God. That's the way they understand it. But if you go back and you go behind the plaster, um, this whole thing is made of mosaics um, of more than a thousand years ago. And you turn the corner and Jesus looks right at you. I mean, it, it, you just see people and they just, they just stop in their tracks. When the world has done everything they can to, to cover up Jesus and for you not to see him and not to know him look into your soul and to bless you. I mean, you, you come around there and you, you're just like, wow. And you have a sense of the holy. You have a sense that this is real. This is true that God did come in the person of Jesus. And he's looking for you, ready to bless you. And then, as my mind works, I also think, man, that's a lot of little tiles. 
and it's Jesus. And the more they restore the Hagia Sophia, the more mosaics come out all over that mammoth place. You see, Jesus Christ is called the Son of God because he is of the same substance of God. That's what the early church would say. They would say, as a flame is to flame. When you have one flame and then you go to two flames, when is it one flame and when is it two? This is the way it is with Jesus and the Father of the same substance, homoousios. This is the word they would use, that God and the Father, same essence, same stuff. So when you see Jesus, you see God. When, when you see God, you're seeing Jesus, fully God and also fully human. 100% God, 100% human. Nothing less will do. And so here's, here's if, you, if you want a, like a 30-second deal on, on world religions, this is the difference. Our faith, Christianity, is founded on who Jesus is rather than just what he said or what he did. It's on who he is. In, in other faith traditions, they, they have teachings, they have books of teachings, and they have prophets, and they have rabbis. But that's not the case for us. What makes our faith so scandalous is we would have the audacity to say that God Almighty, the creator of the heavens, the moons, and the earth, and the stars, is Jesus, a baby who poops in a little diaper. Is it any wonder that the rest of the world looks at us and goes, come on now, that can't be the case. And we say, yes, it's what we claim at Christmas, that God came for the world. So there are lots of things that the Bible teaches about the incarnation and about good gifts. I want to lift up three to you uh, very quickly. Um, These are uh, lifted up in the book as well. And so if you've been reading along, these will seem very familiar to you. First of all, when it came to great gift giving, God didn't give us more stuff. He gave us what? His presence. His very self. Now, if you really took that to heart this Christmas, imagine how that would transform what happens in the next year. If you, if you really said to those around you, I'm going to be there for you this year in ways that I've never been there for you before. You can count on me. The scripture says it like this. Look, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and they shall name him what? Emmanuel, which means what? God is with us. This is the great news of Christmas. Emmanuel means, say it with me, God with us, Jesus with us. So in, these, in this gift-giving season, when we want to give differently, I would submit to you that the best gifts celebrate a relationship. A relationship. And this is why wedding rings are so important. Right? So, so when, you're, when you're looking at a wedding ring, it's not about the cut and the quality and the color as much as it is about the relationship. The ring says, you can count on me. I'll be there in sickness and in health. I'll be there for you always, in good times and in bad times. When we've got money, when we don't have money. It's about the relationship. When, when we happen to have a really good year and our kids are well-behaved, and, and when we have a terrible year and, and we wish people didn't know we had children. All, all of that. And I'm going to be there for you. You can count on me, no matter what, until I'm dead. You can count on me. That's what the ring's about, isn't it? You can count on me. So here's a question for you. How can you be present to someone this Christmas? How can you really be present? The second thing that we learn about the way God gives is the gift of Jesus was personal, wasn't it? Absolutely personal. 
In Luke 2, the scripture says, in that region there were shepherds, came to a particular group of people. They were living in the fields. They were keeping watch over their flock by night. Then an angel of the Lord stood before them. The glory of God, the, the Lord, shone around them, and they were terrified, as we would be. But the angel says to them, do not be afraid, for see, I'm bringing you good news of great joy for all the people to you. See how personal that is? It's not, oh, just to, you know, everybody. No, to you. The Savior's born, the Messiah, the Christ, the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You'll find him wrapped in bands of cloth and lying in a manger. And the angel said to them, specific, personal, don't be afraid, to you, specific, personal. So when you give a gift this year, Make sure it's personal. Have you all ever gotten a gift that was not personal? Like, the, and I'll, I'll talk more about this next week, I think. We were, we were looking for some things, and this week I came across a gift that was given to me and to Chantel in 1991. Never used, yet I still have it. It was a wedding gift. Isn't that crazy? I've never used it. It, it didn't, it, anyway, I may talk about that next week. I, I don't have it figured out yet. Just, just craziness, what we do. And we carry it around because gifts are important. Gifts carry meaning. So here's, here's an idea. This is in the book. Um, I thought it was worth sharing. There was a father, for example, and he gave his daughter two beautiful blank journals at Christmas. Uh, it was her last Christmas in the home. She was about to head off to college. And so he just, when she unwrapped them, she had two journals. I mean, this is not an expensive gift, right? It's just two blank journals. And then the father said this. He said, you know, you're going to go up to college soon, and, and I'm going to miss you, and I'm going to have hopes and dreams and wants for you, and I'm going to write those down in one of those journals, if you'll let me. And when you're at college, and, and maybe you're missing us, or maybe you had a great day, or maybe you passed a final for the first time, or maybe you made a friend, or maybe you got a boyfriend, or, or maybe you, you learned this, or you did that, or you just had a great day, if you want to, write it down in your journal. Whatever you'd want me to know. And the next Christmas, we'll swap. And you can read everything that I thought about you for the year, and I'll read everything that you wanted me to know about for the year. And they'll be full of joy and laughter, memories and thoughts and love. That's a personal gift. But it, it's so scary, right? Because I know if I gave these to my boys, mine would be full and theirs would be blank. <laughs> and it takes vulnerability to be personal, doesn't it? It's scary. You're like, I know I'm going to get a blank journal this Christmas. Right? It also requires us to slow down. You know, you can't love in a hurry. You just can't. You have to actually slow down and think about what you're giving. Why? To whom? What would bless them? And then finally, we know this, that God's gift was costly. It was so costly. Paul writes to the early church in Philippi. He says, let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited. No. He emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness, that God, knowing full well what he would have to do, comes to earth. God Almighty, choosing to serve. And being found in human form, no longer an, an almighty God in that way, he would humble himself and become obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. That God would choose that for you and for me and all those that have gone before us and all those that will come after us. 
You see, the gift that God gave cost him everything. His own breath. His life. It cost him everything. Great gifts require humility, don't they? And they risk rejection and misunderstanding. And, and, and that's the thing. It's not, I mean, it's one thing to understand that God would give himself so that all the world would be saved. You're like, okay. But then you think, well, but what about those that, that don't even receive him? They just refuse. They're like, no, I don't have any interest in it. And God, fully knowing that as well, still chose to give. And I, I think that just takes it to a different level, doesn't it? That not only does God do it knowing that some will say yes, he also does it knowing that some will say no. This gift-giving thing is tricky. It's important. It can be hard. There is something beautiful, though, and deeply moving about a well-timed, thoughtful, sacrificial gift that is desperately needed. In our church home, uh, we've had friends that needed a kidney transplant, and another member of our church gave it to them. Great joy. Great joy. Unending joy. The gift of life itself. Now, that's a gift. And, and it doesn't have to be uh, something that costs you your whole life. Uh, maybe it's just a coat for a child who's shivering at night on a bone-chilling night for, for one of the kids that live under the bridge down by I-40 and, and on a well-timed gift of bringing the gift of shelter and clothing for those who desperately need it. That's a good gift. Or maybe it's a meal. There's something beautiful, isn't it, about a family who hasn't eaten for 36 hours? And that moment when they get a warm, hot meal. Many of you have, have done that sort of feeding ministry uh, with me. When we, we used to have a feeding ministry down on 8th Street, down by St. Anthony's. And it, and it would always strike me as we would feed folks on Saturday night that at the end, the little ones, they would always be taking hot rolls and putting them in their pockets because they had a friend who wasn't going to be there that night. They're so generous, so thoughtful that they would, they would take extra and stick it in every pocket that they had so that they could share the meal with the other folks that were still back under the bridge. Or maybe it's not something tangible at all. Maybe it's forgiveness. You know, that, that moment when a, a friend forgives you that you have clearly wronged. And it's not like the, the jury's out like, did I do wrong, did I didn't. No, you did flat wrong. And somebody reaches out, grabs your hand, and says, I love you. Don't do that again. But I love you, and we're going to be okay. We're going to work it out. We're going to work through this. The gift of forgiveness. It's beautiful. It's touching. If you've ever received it, you know what I'm talking about. You see, all of these gifts, they're relational, aren't they? And they meet a need. And the best gift we ever get are those that meet a need that we can't provide for ourselves. Isn't that true? Have you ever received one of those gifts where you just, you just couldn't do it for yourself? And there it was. And that's the great miracle of Christmas. That Jesus makes us right with God, something we could never do for ourselves. And no one that you ever know could do it for themselves. Now, I know some of you are like, well, my grandma could. No, not even your grandma. No one, not the Pope, not Mother Teresa, no one can earn their way into heaven. It is a gift. 100% gift. And Jesus is doing something for us that we could never do for ourselves. And that's why I love every Christmas Eve we sing away in a manger. No crib for a bed. And at the very end of that song, it says this. And fit us for heaven 
to live with thee there and fit us for heaven to live with thee there. That's what Christmas is about, receiving God into our lives to change us, to make us, to fit us for heaven. Or as my mom used to say to me, you need to be fit to live with, right? Because right now you are not fit to live with. You need to, and that's what Jesus does. He comes in and makes us fit to live with God in heaven. And the reason this is so important is that our gifts represent or represent to the world the gift of Jesus who lives in us. So that think of this. Every time you give a gift in any way, you are representing Jesus and the gift that's been given to you. And the question again, of course, for us is, is that present worthy of representing the King of Kings? Does it really represent him? to the world or is it just something we're doing to get to our next thing because we're people in a hurry so here's the problem and the solution a few chapters earlier in john um, the scripture says this that jesus was in the world and the world was there through him jesus created it with god and yet the world didn't even notice jesus came to his own people but they didn't want him they didn't want him But whoever did want him, who believed he was who he claimed and would do what he said, he made to be their true selves, their child of God selves. And this is the beauty of salvation, friends. So many people pull back from God because they're afraid that if they give themselves to God, he's going to make them like a boring robot. Like, I don't want to lose myself. No, no, no. When you receive Christ in your life, you have the opportunity to become your best self. Everything that God created you for in the first place, to make those crooked places straight, to bring life itself in and through you, not to make you less than, to to make you something you could never be on your own without the Lord. So the word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. And we saw the glory with our own eyes, the one-of-a-kind glory, like father, like son, generous inside and out, true from start to finish. We worship a generous God. Friends, God is generous inside and out, true from start to finish, willing to give everything for you and me. Now, every metaphor that you you try to to use at Christmas or at Easter is going to fall flat. Um, But here's a good shot. We'll try this one. A Christmas miracle in the Northeast Kingdom. I don't even think I can find the words to say. Julie Gates went to pick up a package on Thursday at the Derby Walmart. While in line, she overheard a conversation. They came up to the guy in front of me and said, either I'm going to pay for it now or I'm going to pay for it later. Then he turned to her and he asked if she was paying for an item on layaway. And he said, well, why don't you run and get what you want now and come back here? Gates was skeptical, but... Putting items on layaway was why she was there in the first place. So I came back and he was standing there waiting. There was no one left. He was just standing there waiting for me to come back. He paid for everything. This is a storage room filled floor to ceiling with Christmas gifts, electronics, toys, whatever it is. And now they're all paid for. Kind of like surreal, like when she said, oh, no balance due or whatever. And then it was really a reality. So I want to thank him. Especially Gates. I get goosebumps thinking that that is the true magic of Christmas. That's the Christmas spirit walking amongst us. Now, this is not a religious story. This is just a, a news story. But do, do you hear Jesus moving in the background? You hear one of his kids say, he was just standing there 
waiting for me to come back to him. And I did. And he paid for it all. No balance due. Do you hear those themes rolling through the spirit of Christ, rolling through the world for the transformation of the world? He had paid all of the debt. There was nothing to do but to say thank you. I just want to thank him. That's what we do at Christmas. We come to thank him because he's paid all of our debts, every last one of them. He's so good, isn't he? So good. So we come to say thank you. So if, you, if you're not sure how to say thank you, if you're not sure how to begin to activate that in your life, I want, I want to lift a few steps up for you. Uh, one is this. I, I want you to give a thoughtful gift to someone who doesn't deserve it. This week, really. Think of somebody you don't like. Or, or think of someone um, that's entitled. Which makes me not like them. But, you know, and then give a gift to them. And if I were sitting where you're sitting, I would go, why? why? That sounds like a terrible idea. Why would I do that? Because, friends, it represents God's love for us. Even though we don't deserve it. When we didn't deserve it. Isn't that true? When Christ came to you, when he reached out his hand and said, I love you, I'm bringing you to myself. Did you deserve it? Did you earn it? Had you already made yourself right without him? No. It's not something we can do in our own power. So when we give gifts, particularly to those who don't know us well or are on our last nerve, it makes them go, that was weird. I wonder what that's about. Wouldn't it be cool if your gifts this year had that sort of a, a response? Like, huh, that was weird. Or uh, there's some things that we know are close to Jesus' heart, and that's his children. Hinder not the little children, let them come unto me. And so you can literally save a child's life by giving to the mission offering this Christmas. If you're not going to be around Christmas Eve, you can give today. Just put mission um, on, on your check, and we'll know. Around here, we like to give $1 more to Jesus than we do to ourselves because it puts us in right relationship with the manger because it's his birthday, right? It's not our birthday. It's his birthday. And so here's, here's the thing. Again, used to, when I was sort of sitting where you are, I would think when a preacher would say, like, you're going to save a life, I'm like, really? Like, how do you know that? Like, how can you really know that? Well, this is how. Um, the World Water Council knows that 6,000 children die every day. Every day from waterborne illness. This isn't news. It's 1.4 uh, million uh, kids a year. Uh, I was in Guatemala two years ago. Um, took my little phone, and she's taking her bath and drinking the water. Right there. And it's super cute, and her mom and cousins and aunts and uncles, they're, you know, they're doing the wash and, and doing the work. And it's just everyday life in Guatemala. And, and her sister uh, is just up the, the river a bit doing the same thing. And you wouldn't think, I mean, it's really, and it looks beautiful. I mean, it's picturesque, uh, except just up about another, I don't know, maybe 30 yards, they're pigs. And this is why we're here. We have the little piggies rooting around and doing their business right next to the kids. And right over to the water supply. Not far. So if you know basic 7th grade biology, germs, not filtered, dehydration, death. 
We put in a well there at a church so that people would know the living water of Jesus. Oh, there's Kathy. See yourself? Yeah. I didn't ask you. Sorry. But uh, there she is. I'm going to leave that up now. Um, you get this? I mean, we know this. We know this. Uh, and about exactly an hour ago, we had our team come home who just finished our 22nd well. 22 of them. Saving lives. Absolutely. Saving lives. And we know that this year, a clean, functioning water well can be put in and maintained for less than $6,000. Roughly $5,500. That's going to go up next year, but today, we can still do that. And we have done that 22 times. Now, if you go up a ways to the Mexican border in Tijuana, you can actually save people's lives there, too. Because when we uh, care for and we have given to Casa de Tijuana, they're teenagers. They're there from 13 to 18 years of age. And then there are four different drug cartels that run from east to west in Mexico, and they know every trade route that's coming through. Everybody who's trying to get smuggled in, they know them all. There were more than 100 kidnappings in the first five days of the caravan at the southern border of Mexico. Almost exclusively girls, 15 to 25. If you go to the detention centers in southern Mexico, you'll see old women, old men, boys, um, teenage boys too, but you won't see any women, 15 to 25. Not a one. They've already been sold to the cartels, the highest bidder. There's a lot of corruption in the local governments. And so if you are fortunate enough to be alive, actually stay alive by the time you get to the northern border, um, there's going to be now 3,000 people ahead of you uh, seeking asylum, which means you're going to be stuck in Tijuana, uh, where the sex traffic trade is, is alive and well. And if you don't have a place to stay that's safe, the drug cartels will find you. They know this. This isn't, this isn't guesswork. This is, we see this all the time. And I'm, I'm, I'm getting this information from Uriel Gonzalez, who's given his life to this work. He's been there more than 25 years now. And it's not a nice place. I mean, it's, they hang their laundry out in the back um, you know, alley. And there's 12 beds for girls and 12 beds for boys. And it saves their lives. And you're a part of that. Of actually saving people's lives. Young people's lives. Who are literally running from drug lords for their life. Now this, Jeff, thank you Jeff, did something for me this week. If you've been with us a long time, I just want to say thank you. Because this year for the first time, this little church up here in you know, nowhere land. Um, Edmond, Oklahoma, Deer Creek, however you want to talk about it. This year, we crossed the million-dollar line. That we've given a million four thousand eight hundred twelve dollars to the, this kind of work. How about that? You have, you've done this. Yeah, that's worth cheering about. Saving lives in Jesus' mighty name. It's worth doing. Amen.